We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Karen Catlin. After 25 years building software products and serving as vice president of engineering at Macromedia and Adobe, Karen witnessed a sharp decline in the number of women working in tech. So she switched gears, started her own company, wrote books, and took ally action. Karen is the highly acclaimed author and speaker on inclusive workplaces. She's the author of four books, Better Allies, Everyday Actions to Create Inclusive, Engaging Workplaces, Belonging in Healthcare, The Better Allies Approach to Creating More Inclusive Workplaces, The Better Allies Approach to Hiring, and Present, The Techie's Guide to Public Speaking. She also writes my favorite weekly email newsletter, I cannot believe it's weekly, Five Ally Actions. What I appreciate most about you, Karen, is the skillful, thoughtful, and helpful ways that you give us guidance on how to be better allies and generous leaders. We speak the same language and you you give us practical tips, examples, directions, stories that really help us make a difference. Welcome to ROG, Karen. Shannon, it is such a pleasure to be here and thank you for that kind introduction. I'll tell you about my newsletter. You know, it's called Five Ally Actions, and it is a lot of work to send it out every week. It's like this roundup of what I've learned, but it takes time to write and produce a newsletter. And I will tell you, there are times I wish I had called it three ally actions instead of five, but there we have it. Um, And as I said, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Thank you for all of that. And how I'd like us to invest our time together today is for you to share some of those great tips and and ally actions that we could take because one of your greatest convictions is that being an ally for underrepresented colleagues is one of the best ways for us to demonstrate allyship and generosity at work. And then you talk about how there's a myriad of ways that we can do this. And so I would just love for us to hear some of those recommendations and advice you have for how to be better allies. Yeah. And And I appreciate that you called it being better allies for underrepresented colleagues at work. Um, Underrepresented can mean a lot of different things. Um, Sometimes it's gender. A lot of the times it's gender. And then there's racial underrepresentation or based on our sexual orientation and identity, our age, the disabilities we're living with and so forth. So there's so many aspects of Um, being underrepresented. And I think that for many of us, it's hard to even know what we should do. Like, well, isn't, doesn't everyone experience the workplace the same way as me with my identity? And the answer is probably not. Um, With people who are from underrepresented groups, they're chances are they're going to experience things differently. Um, One might be simply that they aren't recommended for sort of some stretch assignment or something high profile where maybe they get a chance to pitch an idea or give the team update to a senior leader and get that visibility that could lead to career growth. So, a simple thing is to make sure if you are in a position of giving people, asking people to take on new work or to do those kind of updates to senior leaders is make sure you're not always calling on the same person, your, your typical go-to mm-hmm. kind of person. Um, mix it up, 
look for people who don't normally get that kind of chance and see if they can't do it you know, and take a turn. Yeah, paying attention to who's getting the spotlight or those opportunities, setting them up for success, right? Really coaching them and helping them if they need it to be, because they may be nervous about an opportunity like that. So you're saying like, identify them, ask them if they would be interested and then really help to make them shine. Exactly. And speaking of the spotlight, another way we can do that in more of even an everyday kind of way is is look to agree with people when they bring up good points in a meeting that you agree with. Just like sing their praises, say, I really like the, you know, like that idea, Shannon. Um, and here's how my department, my team can help explore the next steps. You know, like make sure that you give people credit for their great ideas, kind of cultivate that generosity of sharing credit in the meetings we are in. It's another great way for uh, people who are underrepresented to get that visibility that they might not otherwise get. Um, and I'm going I'm to share a quick story with you too. Yeah, I would love to hear one. Yeah, I remember being on the receiving end of something like this that I'm just describing. I had just joined Adobe Systems as a senior member of the engineering staff there. And I was in a big engineering leadership meeting, uh, probably about 40 people, most of whom were men and me. And um, I heard my manager, who was a senior vice president, I heard him say, well, you know, what I learned from Karen Catlin is, and he went on to summarize something I'd shared in a one-on-one probably the previous week. Um, But the fact that he said he had learned something from me made me feel awesome, as you might imagine. But I think he helped me build credibility with all the men in the room that I was going to have to start working with on sort of cross-department initiatives and strategic planning and so forth. So it's such a simple thing to do is to give people those shout outs in the meetings we attend. And we spend a lot of our time in meetings. So we, I think we can all look to do that. I think so too. And the other thing I love about that example is that he said your full name and he said it correctly. Right. So he get, like if people were like, oh, I wonder what her name is or, you know, they see it in writing, but they don't know how to pronounce it correctly because he was your leader and he knew how to do that. I think that's another plus. So great ideas about everyday actions, giving people opportunities. What are some of the other things that you see happening in workplaces that you would describe as inclusive where people belong? Like what, what are some of the things you see people doing right? Yeah, doing right. I, so a lot of organizations have employee resource groups or affinity groups, uh, groups for people who tend to be underrepresented. It might be a women's group. It might be a black employees group or a pride group for members of the LGBTQ community, um, Latino group, whatever. So I love that. And what I see organizations do that really supports that is make sure that the people who lead those things get acknowledged for that work. Maybe they get paid a bonus as well because it's extra work on top of the things that they are going to be typically evaluated on. And the thing that allies can do is reach out and say, can I come to one of your meetings? That looks interesting, that speaker you're bringing in. Is it open to allies? Can I join? And start doing that so you start getting to know more about the conversations that's happening within that group, doing your own education, um, attending as an ally, not to take over the conversation, but to listen and learn. So, yeah. Um, And I have one more to to share. I mean, actually, I probably have like yeah, hours worth to share, yeah. but yeah, you probably have like 200. <laughs> easy, easy. Um, 
here's a, here's another one. Well, let's talk about office housework. Office housework are tasks that need to get done for the health of an organization, but maybe aren't really anyone's job. Um, things like, I don't know, collecting money for a baby shower for a peer who's having a baby. Um, or so, you know, a bunch of people are late to this meeting. I'll text everyone or message everyone to get them in the room. Like it's maybe no one's job. Um, and it goes on from there too, to things like, oh, uh, no one's here to take notes. It's no one's job to take the notes. Um, who, who can take notes at this meeting or track the action items or send out the follow-up or schedule the follow-up meeting or order the food for this lunch meeting? And the research shows that these types of office housework tasks tend to go to women and especially women of color. We're expected to do it because of some gender norm in our society. And we also, as women, tend to volunteer to do this stuff because we're like, it's just not a big deal. I'll just get it done, whatever. But when we take on these office housework tasks, we're seen as doing service for other people. Um, it's very generous. I mean, uh, think about uh, the topic of this podcast. It is done from a point of view of being generous often, but we're seen in service of other people. And as a result, maybe at a lower level than everyone else in the room. Um, and we're busy doing this stuff, which takes away from making like, you know, killer points during that meeting uh, before taking the notes or getting something else done for our the job that we have been hired to do. So one of my favorite approaches for allies is look out for this office housework. Don't ask the only woman in the room to do whatever it is. And ideally, set up rotations for any kind of ongoing meeting where you have to have someone take notes or do timekeeping or track action items. Set up rotations. Now, Shannon, here's a cautionary tale about setting up rotations that I'll share with you. A number of years ago, I was doing a consulting project for a Silicon Valley tech company. And I was attending a monthly meeting for their women in tech affinity group. It was sort of the steering committee. They were doing some planning and they had a monthly meeting and they, as a group, had set up one of these rotations ahead of time. Like, so someone to take the notes, someone to do the timekeeping. And so the meeting I was at, the organizer opened her laptop and said, let me see whose turn it is to take the notes. And she looked through this list and she said, okay, Brian, it's your turn. Now, Brian was the one male ally on this steering committee for women in tech, right? And I can't, I can't make this stuff up, Shannon. He said, well, you know, I'm not that good at taking notes. I think someone else should do it. And I was like, oh, no, this is not happening. Because I know about all this research, right, that shows that, that's, that women are expected to do this more than men. And Shannon, how many times do you replay your day, maybe as you're cooking dinner at night or working out at the end of the day or falling asleep, um, and you think, oh, when so-and-so said that, I should have said this. Yeah, you think of it later. Well, good news. On this day, when Brian said he wasn't that good at taking notes, I thought of the best thing to say right then and there. And I said, hey, Brian, practice makes perfect. And this is the perfect place to practice. Because there, there was no way I was going to let him get out of doing his job. He took the notes. It was fine. Um, so the cautionary tale here is if you do set up rotations for these kind of administrative jobs that aren't really anyone's job responsibility is make sure you hold people accountable to doing their taking their turn. 
Yes. Oh, that's such a good story. And to your point, it's like sometimes people just aren't in the practice of doing it. They're not the per- they never had to step up and fill in that role. So then there's an appreciation that someone has to do that job. But I think it's also like the sharing the load because to your point, it's a generous offer to do those things. I'm totally guilty of it because I'm a fast typer and I like I'm a visual learner, so I want to see it. But then I am you know, demonstrating that I'm doing like the corporate housework instead of really contributing and listening to the conversation. I think that's a really helpful one. (laughs) Very practical. So in your book, Better Allies, which is a must read for everyone, you have the 50 potential privileges in the workplace. I think that's a really good place for people to start, Karen. Um, And that's probably why you have it right in the beginning of your book. For us to go through this list to check ourselves on what are some of the privileges that we have and not in the way, because like you even call it the P word in your book, because it has this stigma and it causes people shame or they have get defensive about it. But it's really more so that we can identify what are the, the ways in which we can make a contribution. And you know, the the famous saying of to whom much is given, much is expected. So how are we using that and leveraging our privilege so that we can create these environments that, that we all want to be a part of? So I'd just love for you to talk briefly about privilege. Yeah, the P and the P word. We, you know, I, I was having some fun with that. And I decided to use that phrase, the P word, because most of us don't want to talk about privilege. We get a little uncomfortable and maybe defensive if someone points out our privilege. Um, And, you know, my personal journey here has been like, yeah, I've been there. I get defensive. I think, wait a second, what are you calling me? Are you saying I'm lazy or I haven't had to work hard to get what I've, you know, accomplished in life? Because that's not true. Um, yeah, I went to a good university, but I put myself through school. I worked campus jobs. I left with a lot of loans and I've worked hard since then to get to where I am. You know, like I'm not privileged. I've worked hard, but that's not what privilege is about. Privilege is really a set of unearned benefits we get because of some social status. And it can be because of our gender, the color of our skin, our age, so forth. And it's important for us to understand that with this privilege, it means that We should be being generous with our expertise, our standing, our status, and so forth, our credibility. And realize, and this is a key part of my message, is not everyone has the same abilities or same privilege that you might have. Privilege, you know, it's when I first started doing my work on Better Allies, I was like, the white men have all the privilege. That was my mindset. But as I did more and more research, I realized that some of it's kind of nuanced, the privilege. Um, Privilege can be because you have a certain um, job title. Privilege can mean that you, um, you know, if I think about myself now, I am a published author and I have a certain confidence when I am writing now because I have published books um, that I maybe wouldn't have had before. Um, I have, have... privilege because I've got some money in the bank and I'm not paying my bills and worrying about um, my bill pay month to month. I have privilege because I have food that I have in the fridge that I can eat every day. And even those of us working in professional settings, that's not true necessarily for all of our colleagues. So it's nuanced. And that's why I came up with this list of 50 ways you might have privilege in the workplace. 
not to have people feel like, oh my gosh, I feel awful about myself because I've got, you know, 47 or whatever it might be, um, but more to just realize not everyone has this privilege. And for listeners, I encourage you to go take a look. It's on my website. It's in my book too, but I can make it a free PDF on my website. Um, you don't have to even do anything. You just download it. There's no like emails you have to give or anything. Just go download it and take a look at it. And my website is betterallies.com. And if you have show notes, Shannon, we can put a link exactly to that PDF. Um, take a look at it and think about how your privilege shows up and how that might mean other people are experiencing the workplace different than you. Mm, So, so brilliant. And what a great conversation starter and not to compare and because I think sometimes people feel shame about this and that's not at all the intent. It's to open up our eyes and to think about that some people aren't checking off on that list and think, okay, well, who who among us might actually experience some of the backlash of that just ignorance, right? I think it's that people don't recognize that some people are being treated that way. And it's a it's a way to become more sensitive and um, empathetic to people in the workplace and to lead within, in a way that is more inclusive. Because I don't believe, similar to you, I don't believe that people are trying to be exclusive or rude or uh, any of those things, I really don't. Some some people might be. But I think most people are really just not aware. And so a lot of the other things that you talk about and why I love the five ally actions every week is because it just makes you stop and think like, okay, when have I experienced that myself and how could I make an adaptation? So even for this podcast, I have been eager to have you as a guest for a long time. And one of your requests mandates is that we have closed caption. And I thought we did, and we didn't. And so we made that modification. And now I am so grateful because it was it didn't occur to me that we didn't have it. And, and really, how many of our audience members need it? And so that's one of the many things that you have said that have brought light to things in my own life. So just curious to hear some of your thoughts too around what are some of those additional everyday They don't seem like a big deal, but they really make such a difference kind of things. I know, I know. So let's, I'll I'll, I'll come clean here too. Like I forgot I had asked you about that and that you had like done the work to figure it out. And um, and then like, was it last week? I said, you know, by the way, do you have transcripts? Like I I did forget our conversation. So I, I admit that I apologized already to you. But I did that because I I keep forgetting to put that, request or mandate, as you said, out there when I am invited on podcasts. And it's so important to me. I know that I want to be doing this for people. And it's not just for people who have hearing disabilities and hearing loss, but there are also people on the neurodivergent spectrum who benefit from having a transcript that they can read in addition to hearing and listening along. Um, So it helps people with cognitive processing as well. So I know it's important, but I keep forgetting to ask. So you know what I did after I realized I had asked you for the second time to do this. I went to my Twitter profile and let's hope Twitter exists or something moving forward. Who knows? Here it is. And uh, 
you know, mid-November of 2022, and who knows what's going to happen with Twitter. But I went to Twitter and I added to my my profile, my user profile, just that it already said, won't speak on all white panels. So, you know, conference panels of people. I won't speak on all white ones because I think diversity is better. And I added, or podcast without transcripts. I just put it there so that I would remember myself, but also if anyone was coming, checking me out, would see that request right up front. Um, so that, yeah, so that's something if you're a public speaker, consider putting won't speak on all white panels or all male panels. If you're um, a man in a... Or all any kind of one way, right? Any kind of one yeah. way, yeah. Um, and if you speak on a lot of podcasts, think about putting that out there too. Won't speak on podcasts without the closed captioning or transcripts. Yes, I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that really puts puts it into action, which is what you're all about. Another thing that is a great action is about how we communicate, the words that we use, the phrases that we say. And that's another thing that I've become much more sensitive to. And I love how you have taught us how to correct people when we're hearing things that we know can be offensive and then how we can even catch ourselves and say, you know, excuse me, I shouldn't have said it like that and say it differently. Because when we do that, I think we're just showing them that, yeah, we're all learning, right? We're all on a journey. None of us have it correct all the time. Um, but also just how common it is, right? There's these common things that I catch myself saying. So here's one example from from the list that you had in in your book. It was around um, si- sailing down the river, which was selling, S-E-L-L-I-N-G, down the river. I very often say sailing it down the river, meaning let it go. I'm like, just sail it down the river. And maybe I had heard this expression incorrectly, or maybe just to me, like that is a way to let it go. It's like, you know, the way the the Jewish faith, you know, does it with Yom Kippur, where they put the, you know, their, their regrets and the things that they want forgiveness for, and they put it in the river and they sail it down the river. Um, But then when I heard that selling down the river was something that people did with slaves and in Mississippi. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, there's there's something that I say very frequently that I, I don't even think about that could be misinterpreted. So I just need to, you know, kind of find different ways of communicating when I'm encountering some of those sayings that um, I had not understood as being offensive. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love, thank you for sharing that story. And I similarly am on a journey learning more about inclusive language too. Um, One example for me, um, and this goes back a few years ago, but um, someone said, and and this is a phrase I've just picked up professionally is, hey, I'm going to open the kimono here, open the kimono, which to me means I'm going to tell you some things I don't tell everybody. I want to be very transparent with you, whatever. Um, And in my work now, I've got basically learned that this is um, it's misogynistic as well as racist against people in Japan, women in Japan, and not that the kimono is always um, has a history of this, but there is a Western impression that the kimono is something worn by sex workers in Japan. So it's even like it's like so many layers of non-inclusive language there. Um, I had a friend who has an email newsletter, and um, a while ago she she sent out her newsletter with the subject line, "Hey, marketing pros, I'm going to open my kimono, and here's why you should do," or something like that. 
And I sent her feedback. And I want to explain this feedback because it's based on my one of my favorite approaches for giving people feedback on non-inclusive language or other non-inclusive behavior. And that is the seek common ground and then educate. Seek common ground. So what did I say to my friend when I replied to her email newsletter? I, I told her, I said, I noticed you use this phrase and I used to think it was fine too. Used to think it, just what I said before, you know, used to think it was like, I'm going to be very transparent with you. But I have since learned, so this is the educate, but I've since learned it is not inclusive for these reasons. And I think I linked to a couple articles so that she could just click through and, and read what experts said. So I used to think this was fine to say. I've since learned. Just earlier this week, I got an email from one of my newsletter subscribers who said, you know, I'm a white person. I was in a car with some colleagues recently who are all of color, including my boss. And my boss said something about um, that, you know, uh, the lowest person on the totem pole. And just use that phrase to be disparaging about someone who didn't have a lot of experience. She said, how could I give, I didn't feel comfortable giving feedback. I'm a white person. It was my boss speaking. And I told that person, like, use the seat, common ground and educate. Seat, common ground. I used to think it was fine to use that phrase, but I've since learned. It's a great way to call someone into a conversation, hopefully without them getting too defensive about their, their action or their language. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you. And so practical inclusive. And what do you recommend that people do when the response back to that, you know, common ground and educate is, oh, you know, I can't say anything anymore without people jumping all over me. I know. What do, what do you recommend there, Karen? Because unfortunately, <laughs> that is the reaction that we often That's, get. I know, I know. Uh, so here's another favorite kind of I don't know, response to things. It's the be curious, not furious response. So in that situation, I'd be curious, like, tell me more. So this happens a lot to you. Tell me more about what's going on. Tell me more why you feel that way. Tell me more. It is a great way for me when when I know I just want to be like, really? <laughs> like I get frustrated. Instead of getting furious, I just want to get curious. Tell me more about that. And hopefully have a good conversation with someone about why they don't want to be being inclusive with their language. Maybe there is some bias that they will realize that, yeah, I probably could be doing better. I don't know, but you got to have that conversation. Tell me more. Tell me more how you feel, that, why you feel that way. Absolutely. And I want to also speak about a topic you and I are both very passionate about, which is women in tech. I run a mentoring program for women in technology for years. I am a big advocate for supporting women in technology. I would just love to get your thought leadership on what are some of the things that you have learned about this population and how can organizations be more supportive of and really encouraging of women in leadership in technology? Too many people blame the pipeline. The pipeline of talent coming in for the women in tech community, um, the talent that's out there, like we post jobs, and only men apply or something, some excuse like that. People blame the pipeline. But really, there are so many women who are incredibly talented, ready for leadership roles, who aren't getting the opportunity. Um, there is this proven, well, many proven biases and studied biases. But one of the biases I'll mention is this thing called prove it again bias. Prove it again bias means that 
oh, yeah, she's managed a team of five before at that company, but I think I'd like to see her manage a team of five at our company before we promote her to having that role full time. Like, let's just have her be an interim, you know, or something like that. I need to see it. And by contrast, and this is backed up by social science research, by contrast, men tend to be promoted on potential. Oh, yeah, he managed a team of five at his last company. He is so ready for a team of 10 here, you know, that type of thing. So look out for that prove it again bias. And a great technique whenever you are speaking about, you know, someone in a calibration kind of setting, calibrating talent is is to use this approach called flipping it to test it. Flip what you would say to be to the other gender or a different race, ethnicity, but flip it and say, would I actually say that about an equally qualified man that I've just said about the woman? Um, And that sometimes can help us find bias. Another, I just have to mention one other kind of bias. Another kind of bias that comes up is the benevolent sexism kind of thing, the against women, Um, benevolent sexism. It is something that's like, someone's like trying to be generous, trying to be kind, because they think they know what's best for someone else. Um, So another story, real life story here. I once had a man who reported to me, and he had a new headcount that he could fill. And I was asking him, so what are the responsibilities you're thinking about for this new headcount? And he started listing off what he wanted to have this person do. And I started thinking, gosh, this would be great for Frankie. And Frankie was a woman on his staff who was his highest performer. We had just done performance reviews. She was the top performer and she would be perfect for this and it would be a promotion. So I said to him, hey, are you thinking about giving this to Frankie, offering it to Frankie? And he said, again, this is one of these things, I can't make this stuff up. He said, oh, no, you know, Karen, she's got two young children at home and she would not want the travel that would come with this job. He was trying to look out for her, but that's not good because that's taking away an opportunity. So I said to him, I'm like, you know, I appreciate that you're thinking about her, but that's not your decision to make. Why don't you go talk to her? He did. She was ready. She could handle it. She took the job and she was awesome. She really, she was fantastic. So let's look out for that benevolent kind of bias, benevolent sexism, benevolent ableism. Oh, I know we both could go visit the, the, that client and do the pitch, but I'll go so that, you know, if you're talking to a peer who happens to be in a wheelchair, I'll go so that we don't have to worry about the airline damaging your wheelchair in transit, right? But, that takes that opportunity away from that person. Let them make the decision if they can travel or not, right? So anyway, this benevolent um, uh, thinking we know what's better for someone than they know themselves, we we should watch out for that and make sure we are actually asking people if they're interested in some opportunity, a new role, travel, whatever it might be. Ah, terrific. Those are great. And like, like we know about bias, they're very often unconscious. We're not aware that we're doing that. So having that thought leadership and knowing how to respond when we're hearing something like that, to let that individual make the decision themselves or not making them prove it again to do something that they had done already in the past really well, assuming that they now have that capability um, and just really looking for opportunities to increase the pipeline, to tap into the pipeline, right? Because I think you're saying if if there's this assumption that the talent isn't there, that's just like a lot of these underrepresented communities, that there's very often a perception that they just don't exist. Or you have, you know, one factor 
in somebody's you know uh, bio that is unique and multicultural so they think okay good you know we've we've taken care of that now we're done versus like okay that doesn't mean like just because you have one representative on your executive leadership team that's not the, you're not going to get the benefits of having a diverse leadership team just with one and that person might also feel like they're tokenized and you know they just won't be able to really get you they won't be able to fully express themselves i don't think if they're not among other people who are also unique and and different what do you think well that tokenism that you mentioned is real um tokenism uh, means that yeah we've got one we've got one of whatever um so we're done and we can focus on the business let's step back from that the important thing here is yeah we all have business objectives to achieve and one of the best ways to get our business objectives achieved is to make sure we have a diverse team who is delivering on those. There are so many studies showing that diverse teams are better for the bottom line for any organization, like the finances, the profit. Um, they're better at making decisions that stick and are the right thing for the business. And they're better at innovating. I mean, all sorts of things. So if you think you can just like check, I'm done. Um, get with the program folks. This is part of being a leader these days is to make sure that you are creating um, a an inclusive workplace where everyone from all sorts of backgrounds, walks of life, experiences, everyone can come and do their best work and thrive. And that's when you are going to have the kind of business that is going to grow, scale, be successful. Absolutely. I mean, those are terrific returns on generosity, right? You nailed it with the the financial results and the innovation, that genuine inclusion. But those are amazing returns on generosity, right? The decision-making, the financial results, the inclusivity, the innovation. You just tapped on a lot of things and also retention, keeping talent and creating opportunities for people to continue to grow. Um, So it's no surprise that one of your favorite quotes is the Maya Angelou quote, to do the best you can until you know better, and then when you know better, to do better. I don't know that this needs more explanation, Karen, but you know what really resonates with you about that quote? Yeah, it speaks to me so much because being an ally is a journey and it's a journey that has to start with a single step. Any journey does, or if you're already on the journey to keep going, we are never going to be done being a, you know, learning how to be a better ally because there's always more to learn here. I feel like, and we are going to make mistakes along the way. And this is the key thing that ties to that Maya Angelou quote. We are going to make mistakes because this is complex. It's hard. We haven't been doing this our whole lives when we make a mistake, we have to learn from it and pledge to do better. Um, and that's one of my mantras almost in with my newsletter is when I make a mistake, I talk about it in my newsletter and I share that mis- the mistake I made and what I have learned and what I'm going to do differently so that people can be learning along with me. We, we are all doing the best we can until we know better. And folks, when I know better, I want to tell everyone else too um, so that um, you might not make the same mistake as me. Yes. Oh, thank you for that. And thank you for sharing your wisdom, experience, all of the encouragement that you give us, Karen. And I just want to close with the way that you close your books and your newsletter, which is together we can and will make a difference with the Better Allies approach. I so appreciate you. Thank you, Shannon. This has been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.